So we're in a series on marriage, and we have a couple more after this. In fact, next week is singleness, and after that is sex. This week, it's the commitment of marriage, and we thought it ought, it's appropriate to honor those in our midst who have been faithful to their marriage covenant. So if you have been married, if you are married and have been married five years or longer, would you please stand? Uh, we want to honor you. Five years or longer. Well done. If you've made it five years, you can make it 50. Well done. All right, if you've been married 15 or longer, remain standing. Otherwise, sit down. 15 or longer, remain standing. Wow. Well done. Yes, yes. Uh, 20 or longer. 20 or longer, remain standing. All right. Is this, for, is this anyone's 25th, in the year 2016, your 25th anniversary? Whoa, look at that. One, two. Anybody else? Three. Well, all right. We've got, I need some helpers here. We've got uh, $75 gift certificates to Fat Ptarmigans. Will you uh, give this to the Kefaloses? And David, would you run this over there to the Balcos? Thank you, Jason. Congratulations. 25 years. Wow. I might run out of gift certificates. Okay, so we're going to jump immediately to uh, if this is your 50th wedding anniversary or you've been married longer than 50, stay up. <laughs> longer than 50? Are you? Oh, Dad. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Wait till she comes home, and then you can use that. Good job, Dad. And... Uh, I know you, it's 52 this year, 53 this year, all right, 53 years, well done. Whoa, Marge, how many years were you married? 4 months shy of 50, all right, well, I've got one more, this is for you. Will you run this to Marge? So a lot of people here you can go to to ask advice on how to, how to stay married. I want to start by um, contrasting consumer relationships with covenant relationships. Most of our relationships are consumer relationships. And that's not wrong. It's just the way it is. Consumer relationships, you're in it to get something. So I might agree to mentor you as long as you are uh, part of the staff. Or I might say, yeah, I'll be your coach as long as uh, I'm employed by the school district or your mommy and daddy pay, pay me. Or I might buy, I'll buy computers from you as long as you give me great customer service. I might use you as my realtor as long as you give me the best, you know, help me find the best homes at the best price. But the thing about consumer relationships is that uh, they dissolve as soon as one party concludes, my needs aren't being met. I'm not getting out of this relationship what I need or want. Now, marriage is not a, a, a consumer relationship, unfortunately. It's not intended to be that. That's not the way God designed it. Unfortunately, um, a lot of people in our society view it as a consumer relationship. They're, they're in it for to get something. Maybe it's uh, great sex, or I'm in it for some uh, help on the home front. 
somebody who can paint, uh, paint the house and fix the roof, and mow the lawn, take out the trash, or uh, cook food, do the laundry. Or I'm, I'm in it for an activity partner. You know, I need somebody who's going to go out and hunt and fish and camp with me and do the things that I love to do. Uh, or somebody that's going to look good on my arm. When I go out in the public, I want somebody who's looking great and makes me look great. And so people, uh, a lot of people get into marriage uh, for what they can get out of it. And, but when they stop getting out of marriage, what they think they need... What do they do? They just dissolve it. And that makes sense if marriage is a consumer relationship. But it's not. It's a covenant relationship. And covenant relationships are categorically different. A covenant relationship is committed to the relationship, first and foremost, regardless of whether it is currently producing joy in our lives. Society still re uh, recognizes the parent-child relationship as a covenant relationship. And so if a parent says, all my kid is doing is crying and demanding and uh, they're not giving me the fun I thought I was going to have, they, they're just draining me, they're not giving me the respect, so I'm done. I'm, not, I'm no longer you know, their mom or dad. Well, society says, no, 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 no. It's, you can't do that. You're a parent. You can't just abandon your kid. And so society recognizes the parent-child relationship, it's a covenantal relationship. They might not use that word, but that's what they mean. No, if you have a kid, you're in it for life, regardless of how they're making you feel. Well, that's the way marriage is intended to be, and that's the way society viewed marriage for the most part, not that long ago. When you make a promise uh, to be with somebody for life, well, that relationship uh, is now a covenantal relationship. And you can't just, you know, abandon it when you're not feeling like it's meeting your needs or being all that you hoped it would be. You've got to stay with it uh, and press through. Let me remind you of uh, kind of the basic wedding vow. Put that on screen if you would. So here's one from a Presbyterian church. Uh, if you're married, you probably made a vow something like this, or if you're going to get married. And uh, so I would have said, you know, I, Mike, take you, Sabrina, to be my wedded wife. And I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. I'm I, I'm entering into a covenantal relationship for a lifetime, no matter what the circumstances. If you're sick and you can't be my activity buddy, uh, in, in joy or sorrow, maybe you're the one producing the sorrow in my life, right? Uh, in riches or in poor, if circumstances are irrelevant, I'm committed to you for a lifetime. That's what I'm promising lest there be any doubt that God views marriage as a covenant, let me read to you from uh, Malachi chapter 2. The, the Israelites, this is the last book in the Old Testament, the Israelites are wondering, why is God not blessing us as a nation? Uh, why does it seem like he's not hearing our prayers? 
They want to know why, and so God answers. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? So here's the reason. Because the Lord was, was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So God says, when you, uh, when you got married, I was there. I was a witness. I heard the promise that you made. I heard that vow, and I'm going to hold you to it. Don't be faithless. Uh, marriage is a covenant, and we've got to understand that and honor it. So when I was... Uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was out in um, King Salmon, this gal told me, she said, yeah, you know, my boyfriend, he's, he bought a ring, he proposed, he really wants us to get married. Uh, they were living together. But I don't want that. I, I told him, no, we don't need a piece of paper. I love you, and, but I just, I, I don't want a piece of paper. In fact, that just might make things messy. That might ruin it. So what does she mean? Well, I think she means, why do I need a piece of paper when I've got, uh, I want to be with you. Uh, I don't need a piece of paper to hold me to you. Uh, I, I feel romantic towards you. Uh, my, I, I want to be with you. I'm here because I choose to be. Why would I need a paper? In fact, a piece of paper might, you know, hold me when I don't want to be here. And, well, that you wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that, right? Well, the fact of the matter is we need the piece of paper to hold us to our promises when the feelings fade, when the feelings change, and they will, not for a lifetime. Chris Kefalos and I uh, ask each other, is the tide in or the tide out in your marriage right now? That's a great metaphor because if the tide is out, inevitably it will come back in. And if the tide's in... <laughs> Yeah, inevitably it's going to go back out. In fact, uh, the American Values Institute in 2002 published a study in which they, uh, they just found that two-thirds of all unhappy marriages will become happy in five years if you just don't break up. Don't even have to do anything extraordinary. Two-thirds of all currently unhappy marriages will become happy if you just stick in there, because circumstances change, people change, right? But I tell you, um, when you are unhappy, you want to get out. I remember Sabrina, uh, I think we were married four years 
Well, we had little Aubrey, and one night she said, I don't love you anymore. And normally that would just have rocked me. I could tell God was with me because I just didn't freak out about it. I said, I am I'm really sorry you feel that way. I'm sure the feelings will return someday, but what can I do right now to help speed that up? Uh, it, I think the Spirit was speaking through me. And that was, uh, that was important. It was an important way to frame feelings, right? Uh, right now, yeah, you're, you are not happy with me at all. <laughs> and, and that's a bad, we want to get out of that as fast as we can, but you know what, we are not going to run. Had we been cohabitating, would she have left? Absolutely. Way before then. You know, she was unhappy. And so everything within her wanted out, but she had made a commitment to me and to God in the presence of witnesses. And so the piece of paper keeps us, keeps us together uh, when our feelings, when the tide is out. And we're like, you know what? I promised to God, ah, and I told her, I did it in front of a whole bunch of people, and I'm going to have to go tell mom and dad and my best friend who had flew in all the way up, you know, maybe from overseas, and and, and that's, a, that's a good thing. You know, society used to make it hard to get divorced. You had to show cause. And now it's no-fault divorce. And if you, if you tell somebody you're getting divorced, I mean, who actually asks why and, and even presses to see whether there's, you know, legitimacy? It's just kind of like, oh, okay. You're not getting out of it what you want. I understand. Love needs security to grow. Love needs security to grow. <clears throat> One of the advantages of cohabitating, it's not a real advantage, but it is a perceived advantage. Uh, it makes sense to the flesh. It makes sense to the unregenerate mind. One of the advantages of cohabitating is uh, the other person is a little insecure, and that keeps them at their, on their best behavior, Right? Because if we're cohabitating, we all understand that this is only going to last as long as we're making each other happy. And so, unregenerate me thinks, yeah, it's kind of good for Sabrina to be a little bit concerned that I might not bolt, that I might bolt. That way, she'll be on her best behavior, and she'll make sure that she keeps me happy. Because she knows if she doesn't, bye bye, this thing's over. And but you know what? That makes sense, but except love needs security to grow. Uh, that kind of a relationship, when there's fear, it might keep us performing, but it does not allow love to grow. But you know what? We, we, we are tempted to do this even in, in our marriages, right? And so sometimes we threaten divorce or separation. And just enough to keep our spouse a little off kilter, uh, so that they realize if I'm not, if you're not really performing for me, well, this might not last. But as long as there is fear, this is a girly mask, I know, I apologize, but, you know, I really don't, this would not be what my mask looks like, but here's the deal. You know, when we meet somebody and we're dating and uh, we're wearing a mask, and it's a very pretty mask. I wish mine were more manly, but this was all Morgan had. 
But I'm wearing a mask, and I'm not going to take this mask off until I feel secure. Now, some of, some of you are out there going, I just wish he would wear the mask all the time. I don't ever want him to take the mask off. That's what I'm worried about. But until I, until I feel comfortable to take the mask off and be myself, I can't be really loved for who I am. So Tim Keller says this. He says, to be loved but not known is flattering but unsatisfying. Sure, I like the way you're doting on me. I like the way you know, you're serving me and making me feel. But there's a, there's, an insecure, there's a sense of, you know what, if you really knew, if you really knew me, if you knew who I really was, eh, I don't think you'd be so excited. To be, to be loved but not known is flattering but unsatisfying. To be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear, isn't it? Somebody who says, oh, now I know who you are. I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's, that's our fear. We keep the mask on. But then he says, but to be fully known and fully loved, that is unbelievably satisfying. It's transformative. It's healing. That's the way God loves us. And that's the way he's called us to love other people, certainly our spouse. And so it's only in the context where you say, uh, I am I'm here for you for a lifetime, no matter what, that, that we give our spouse uh, the security to take off the mask and be who they really are. And that's the only kind, that's the way, uh, that's the kind of love God designed us for and that we long for. And you will not, you will not be satisfied unless you have that kind of love. Cohabitating, anything less than then the full-in, for-a-lifetime promise-keeping will provide that. Keeping promises is ennobling. Uh, there are only two beings in, in the universe that can make and keep promises, God and those created in his image. My dog, Kenai, loves me. But Kenai I cannot make and keep a promise to me. And when we, uh, when we make promises and then stick with the promise no matter what, we know that that's noble. Because what does God do? God makes promises and he keeps them, period. And so there is something within us that when we are keeping our promise, even when it's difficult, probably especially when it's difficult, we know this is the right thing to do. This is... This is uh, building my character. And it reflects the heart uh, and the character of our God. And I want to I put that out because if you're, it takes two people, right, in a marriage. In, but we're not in control of our spouse. We can't control our spouse. They make their own decision about how they're going to do life. And they might or might not be honorable and faithful. But we can. And so... Um, we can fo be formed spiritually by choosing to be faithful. We can feel our own spiritual life growing. And we can uh, be reflecting God, proclaiming the gospel through our faithfulness. And so uh, understand you can be doing good things and be developed even 
even if your spouse is not um, reciprocating. Let me talk a moment about um, divorce and remarriage. Unfortunately, so just really quickly, God's created plan is for a man and a woman to uh, promise to love each other for a lifetime, to be faithful to each other. Husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, who he, he uh, died on her behalf. And uh, wives are to uh, submit to their husbands as to the Lord, to respect their husbands. And the love is to grow and to be deep and secure and wonderful and be a, a great picture of the gospel. But unfortunately, um, not everyone lives that out. And sometimes even Christians fail to live that out. And so how do we handle um, unfaithfulness? Well, the Bible gives, um, there are two biblical grounds for divorce. Let me just hit them really quickly. Jesus gives the first one in Matthew 19.9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So, God doesn't like divorce, it's not his plan, but if your spouse is sexually immoral, you, you have a freedom to divorce and if divorced, to remarry. What is sexual immorality? The Greek word is porneia. Um, some theologians or, or biblical scholars uh, view that very exclusively as adultery and others uh, see it as a broader range of meaning which might include persistent uh, addiction to pornography or visiting strip clubs or um, engaging in sexual chat rooms, things like that. Uh, the second biblical ground for divorce is given by the Apostle Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7.15. 1 Corinthians 7.15, he says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, God has called you to peace. Um, if you are married to an unbeliever and they choose to walk away from the marriage, uh, they abandon you, you are not required to go after them. You're not required to wait, uh, wait around for them. Uh, you, if you choose, may um, divorce and remarry. Other than that, though, other than that, uh, you don't have biblical grounds to, divo to divorce and uh, to remarry, which means this. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the relationship can be so unhealthy, the dynamic can be so unhealthy that uh, I'm, if you came to me, I might counsel physical separation. Sometimes you say this is uh, an abusive relationship and we need to physically separate. But you can't go remarry. If they haven't given you biblical grounds, you can't remarry. Why? You have to hold out the possibility that God can change them. You have to be open to the possibility of reconciliation. It might happen. There's no guarantee. It might not happen. Um, but when you commit to somebody, you, you make a promise that uh, even if you're physically separated, still has obligations uh, upon you. So that's a big topic, and if that's... Um, something that you are wrestling through and want more you know, specific advice on, uh, feel free to ask me. I'd be happy to help walk you through that. All right, fine. You've all been wondering, what in the world is this thing, right? Well, 
Here we go. This is my final point. Oh, I love this thing. It's Craigslist special. One of those Craigslist machines that didn't do me wrong. Final point. Act lovingly to feel lovingly. Uh, a lot of people make the mistake of believing uh, I've got to be I've got to be genuine means that I've got to just act out of my feelings. If, I'm, if I do something that's you know, incongruous with my feelings, I'm not being genuine. And so if I don't feel lovingly towards you, I'm not going to be loving. You know, uh, Tim Keller says, he sees this uh, with sex in marriage, it, that there are spouses who say, you know, I'm only going to have sex with you if I want to, because otherwise it's disingenuous. He says, that's ridiculous. You know, sex is in part service to your spouse. So anyways, don't, uh, so here's what I'm proposing. What I'm proposing is uh, actually feelings follow actions. If you want to feel lovingly to your spouse, act lovingly. Don't wait around. Don't say I'm going to wait until I feel lovingly to do something loving. So here's an illustration. Uh, Sabrina likes it when I make her an espresso in the morning. Americano is her kind of drink of choice. And she's come to expect this. <laughs> but every morning I wake up not feeling good about us, feeling down on her, I am faced with the temptation to skip the Americano. <laughs> every single time. She's not doing, uh, I'm not feeling very served. She doesn't deserve an Americano. Well, I, I'm going to skip the Americano, and then she'll know. I won't have to say anything. She'll just know I'm mad, and then she'll approach me, and we can resolve this. Whatever, I justify it in many ways. But let me tell you, if I give in to that temptation, inevitably, my feelings toward her, my feelings about us do what? They go down. Probably because we, have a, we just have this need to justify ourselves, don't we? Well, she didn't, you know, I was right to not make her an Americana. But she's, frankly, she's a really, really bad person. And, you know, and whatever. And we just, we start thinking negatively. However, when I say, you know what? Yeah, maybe I'm not feeling good about us right now. Maybe I'm not thrilled about her right now. But I can still do something nice. And I spend the time tamping, and I, when I push this little button, uh, all of a sudden, I start feeling better. Oops, that's a bad one. That's because I didn't have my real tamper. You're not going to want to drink this one. That's another thing I could do, give a really bad one. <laughs> Let's just imagine that came out great, and then I And I bring it to her and I say, here you go. It changes my attitude. Because at a minimum it says, you know what, I might not be feeling great right now, but I can st uh, I'm still reminding you and me we're married, we love each other, we serve each other. And my feelings perk up, period. Especially when she says, oh, thank you, and kisses me. And she doesn't even know I'm mad. And I'm like, well, hey, I don't need to be mad. You know. All right, so I have asked Sabrina to come and uh, sort of conclude this talk. 
you hear from a woman's perspective, you're hearing a lot from me. It's not going to be good. I'm sorry. Oh, I was really looking forward to this. <laughs> Actually, I have had, I did have an ex, a perfect Americana this morning. I've already had one, and that's really all I should have. Yeah, when I come to church on Sunday morning and I haven't eaten anything, but I've had my Americano, I'm a little bit crazy until I get a snack or something. But anyway, um, Mike is right. If I hadn't been a Christian, I probably would have left him in the first year. <laughs> but we both, we both, um, after, you know, soon after getting married, we both felt like um, a bit of, the deer in the headlights had a bit of the deer in the headlights effect, thinking, did we just make the biggest mistake um, of our lives? So the Lord had a lot of work to do on us. And I don't, Mike couldn't, when I told him, told him my feelings are gone, I, I just don't have any feelings for you, I don't love you anymore. That was the absolute best thing he could have said to me, to be totally calm and say, I'm sorry about that, but I think they will return. I'm sure they'll return. So he had a lot of confidence. <laughs> but it was the best thing he could have said to me. One thing I will say is that these sermons on marriage are not going to address every issue, every problem. So what do you do? What if you're in a situation where I'm in a, a horrible marriage, it's not getting better, what do I do? Go to a professional counselor. Seek out counseling. And every time Mike and I have advised this to couples, there's always been resistance to, oh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to pay that. But God would be well pleased. He would be pleased if you spent thousands, a few thousands of dollars. If you spent, spend ten thousand dollars, whatever you have to, because the divorce could cost you, cost you up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Talk to your friends who've been divorced. Ask them how much did it cost you financially. It's huge. It's a huge price tag. Spend a few thousand dollars on counseling. Um, and also think just the, the, the price tag of divorce and what it does to um, children, to you, your spouse. It's a big, big price. Really consider that. Um, and those who have gone through that, you know the heartache. And um, the Lord is gracious. He is faithful in meeting our needs, in loving us, and his grace covers all of that. And he can move us forward and bring redemption. And if you're single and thinking, who in their right mind would get married? Um, I think that people who get married are not in their right mind when they are get to the altar. They're in love, and they're really not in their right minds. But uh, So that's why Paul warns us. The Apostle Paul is saying, I want to spare you this trouble. And he, that's in the Bible. It's a hard thing. It's trouble. It's, and so he wishes that we could all be single. He says that. Um, and so some of us thinking, well, why would I get married? Because God put this desire in us for love. And, um, and if, we, if you commit and covenant with someone for a lifetime, you have a big responsibility. Um, you don't enter into it lightly. And, um, and God is, uh, 
he's not he's not gonna he's not gonna make it easy for you. He's saying, hey, you're gonna do this. You're you're making a covenant. You're making a commitment before me. Um, so you do what you need to do to give it a hundred percent. And if you need to go to counseling, go to counseling. Okay, that's a great question. Is it ever fun? <laughs> it absolutely is. When you are both surrendered to God um, and the Spirit is working in you, you will be blessed. You will bless your spouse. You will receive blessing from your spouse when you let the Holy Spirit totally be at work. When you're walking in the Spirit, it is a blessing. Marriage provides security. Um, and it, if you have children in the home, it provides security for those children. There's no better place for a child to be than in a, a loving home. Um, so that it, there are great benefits to marriage. Um, so what do you need to commit this morning to the Lord? It doesn't matter if you're married, single, or divorced. Whatever station in life that you are in, what is it that you need to commit to the Lord? I will say these sermons, um, they're about giving God's vision for marriage. And that's important for all of us, married, single, divorced. We really need to know what is God's vision for marriage. And that's what these sermons are about. So this morning, and so I'm real, I am excited about next week, about um, we're going to focus just on um, singleness. And married people need to know about that too. So don't skip out just because we're dealing with singleness. You need to know about that as well. What does God say about living a single life? So this morning, take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes, and commit to the Lord what it is you need to commit to him this morning.